Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Jesus Christ died when he was about 33 years old. And other than the fact that he died as a relatively young man, on the surface there seems to be nothing unusual about that statement. And the reason why that seems to be a routine statement is because death comes to everyone. When the Irish writer George Bernard Shaw completed a statistical study on the subject of death, he said he came to just one firm conclusion. One out of one people die. Normally that is why biographers seldom spend much time on the deaths of their subjects. However, when we come to Jesus... This rule is broken because about one-third of the Gospels, which is the closest thing we have of the biography of Jesus, is devoted not to his life, but to his death. Now, we know that Jesus was totally different in his birth from every other human being because he was born of a virgin. We know he was totally different in his life from every other human being because he was absolutely sinless. But I want us to learn now that Jesus was totally different in his death from every human being in this respect because he was born to die. While we were born to live, he was born to die. Peter affirms that Christ died. The word died in verse 18 speaks not of physical death, but also the awesome suffering that he would endure. Several years ago, and we know this, that Mel Gibson released his film, The Passion of the Christ. And while he was widely criticized for the brutality of which it depicted the death of our Lord, in response to that, he released a recut version of that movie, and it was six minutes shorter because he cut out the part of the scourging scene and part of the crucifixion scene. He also changed some of the audio and the angles of certain shots to soften the shock of the film. But 2,000 years ago, no one could soften the blow of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What they did to him was far worse than any Hollywood movie could portray. The great preacher Dr. R.G. Lee puts it like this. His death prearranged, prophesied, and provided by God was no afterthought. Jesus was born with the shadow of the cross upon him. With the shadow of the cross upon his heart, he learned to walk. He learned to talk. He learned to work. From his earliest moment upon this earth, it was his burden by day and his pallet by night. Now, Normally, people are remembered by something they accomplished while they were living. For example, when you think about George Washington, you immediately think that he was the first president of the United States. When you think about Benjamin Franklin, you remember he discovered electricity. When you think about Thomas Edison, you remember he invented the light bulb, and I can go on and on and on. When you think about Neil Armstrong, you know he was the first man to step out onto the moon. Or Sir Edmund Hillary when he was the first to climb Mount Everest. 
Although, that might be proven differently, but you didn't hear that from me. Okay? The cross is God's flashing neon sign telling us that if you are to know him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You must know him in his vicarious death. But according to the Bible, the most significant thing Jesus Christ ever did was die. 2,000 years after Jesus left this earth physically, the universal symbol of the movement that he began is not a cradle, it's not a crown, but it's the cross. That's his symbol. Not of crowning achievement, but for what was done to him and what he did for us. One half of the verse in First uh, Peter 3.18 gives us a simple, straightforward, and succinct, and yet practically exhaustive teaching on the death of Jesus Christ. For in this half verse, we learn three crucial truths about that death. First, we know that it was a sacrificial death for sin. Hebrews 9.26 puts it this way. For Christ also has once suffered for sins. Now I call it a sacrificial death because of how that was laid out before us. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You will never understand the death of Jesus Christ until you understand its relationship to sin. We all know that death is universal and death is inevitable. Medicine cannot prevent it. It can only postpone it. What we call living, we could also call dying because at the end of the day, we reach the end of the day. Everybody at one point or another asks the question, is there life after death? But nobody has to ask the question, is there death after life, because we already know the answer to that question. Yet Jesus' death was different from any and every other death that has ever occurred because of its cause. Jesus' death had a cause. You see, basically, there are four ways of dying. There is, first of all, execution, whether lawful or unlawful. There's suicide. There's accidental death. And fourthly, what we call natural causes. Now, though that explains the how of the death, it does not explain the why of death. We are told very plainly in Scripture that people die because of their own sin. The first Adam was not born to die. He was born to live. He was morally and spiritually perfect, created in the image of God. Death was not in the picture. However, God made one thing very, very plain. He said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That was the first time man had ever heard the word die. Well, as you know, Adam and Eve did eat and they did die. They died immediately in their spirit. And they died ultimately in their body. 
From the moment they sinned, their bodies became subject to disease, decay, deterioration, and death. Their spiritual death was immediate, and their physical death was inevitable. Good news for us, right? We all experience this in one way, shape, or form. We now know that ever since every human being that was ever born has died. Now the reason that happened and, and the reason that it happens to us is because of what happened with Adam. Adam became a sinner, but you and I were born that way. We share his sin and his guilt. We are born with the seed of death because we are born with the gene of sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherever as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All have sinned. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sins, it shall die. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. All who sin die. Death is God's righteous and inescapable punishment of human sin. Before man sinned, death was impossible. Since he sinned, death is now Inevitable. Not one single sin, either of word, thought, or deed, can ever go unpunished. But we know Jesus was sinless. So why did he have to die? That raises that question. Jesus was sinless. And since sin is the only cause of death, he should not have died. Yet Jesus did die. He ought not to have died because he was innocent of any crime. He need not have died because he was innocent of any sin. Yet he was mocked, he was flogged, he was stripped, he was tortured and nailed to a cross. He was left there to hang until he was dead. But why? Well, there's only really two answers to that question. First of all, Jesus died a voluntary death. As a matter of fact, did you know that the death of Jesus Christ is the only voluntary death in the history of the world? Now, you may try to argue about uh, people who give their lives in rescuing other people, or soldiers who were killed in war, or even people who commit suicide. But the fact of the matter is, none of those people chose to die. They did not choose to die. Some may choose to die sooner than later, but see, they could choose the day, the time, and the place, and the method of their death. But nobody chooses the weather of death. For it is appointed unto man once to die. So death is not an option, unfortunately. It's not an option. But the last item on that agenda is, of every life is death. As someone has put it, all the world is a hospital... And every person in it is a terminal patient. The only human being who voluntarily chose to die and who did not have to die was the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Philippians chapter 2, pastor's there now. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. A chaplain was going around speaking to soldiers who had been wounded in battle, and he came upon a soldier who was missing his right arm. Trying to comfort the man, he said, Son, I just want you to know that you lost your arm fighting in a great cause. The soldier said, Chaplain, you're wrong. I didn't lose my arm. I gave it. Jesus gave his life. He died a sacrificial death for all of us. Secondly, it's a substitutionary death for sinners. Peter goes on to say, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. And I want you to think about something here. And it will make perfectly good sense to you. If sin is the only cause of death, yet Jesus had no sin, and Jesus still died, then there can only be one real cause of his death. It was our sin. If death results from sin and Jesus never sinned, the only explanation of his death is he died on the behalf of sinners. He died in their place. Because Jesus died that voluntary death, and now that's a wonderful truth, but how do you explain that to people? How do you explain that to an individual who does not know Christ? Well, Let's suppose you have cancer, and your cancer is so far progressed that the doctors have told you there is no hope. All methods of treatment have been exhausted. There is nothing they can do. Without a miracle, you will die. So I come to you and say, I'd like to help you out. I want to take every single one of your cancer cells out of your body and put them in my body. Now, you might look at me kind of puzzled and curious as why I would want to do that. But you might also feel joy knowing that that might be taken away from you. That you won't have to suffer from that anymore. If that were possible, would it, what would happen to me and what would happen to you? Well, the answer is simple. It says, I would die and you would live. Why? Because I took the thing that was causing your death and placed it upon myself, and I died as your substitute. But you see, that's what Jesus did for us. He took the penalty for our sins and he placed it upon himself. And that explains why Christ had to die. He did not die as a good example, and he didn't die to teach us how to live our life. Think about that for a second. Because you might be saying, I don't know, I agree with you. Let me say that again. He did not die as a good example, and he didn't die to teach us how to live or how to die. He died because he took our punishment on himself. 
A little chorus says it this way. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing that brand new song, Amazing Grace. For Jesus paid the debt I could never pay. So many have the attitude of, I would rather go to hell than to go to heaven on the back of another man. I will say this firmly to you this morning. If you do not go to heaven on the back of Jesus, you surely will go to hell. And that's a fact. John R.W. Scott has said, The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Dwight L. Moody was talking to someone who was trying to deny the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, and he said, do not suppose God has made a law without a penalty. What an absurd thing it would be. The penalty for sin is death, for the soul that sins shall die. If I have sinned, I must die or get somebody to die for me. If the Bible doesn't teach that, it doesn't teach anything. And that is where the atonement of Jesus Christ comes in. Now, I have studied this at great length and consistently through my time at seminary. And I will tell you this. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is one of the clearest truths found in the Bible. Paul believed in it. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He said again, for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. We already see that Peter believed in it. He went on to say Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree. The apostle John believed in it. He said, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. The prophet Isaiah believed in it. He said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died a vicarious death. You notice I refer to his death not only as a voluntary death, but a vicarious death. The word vicarious comes from the word vicar, which has as its root meaning the word substitute. Now vicarious means to obviously take the place of another, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor had explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two months earlier. 
Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. And since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. So the doctor asked the boy, he says, would you give your blood to Mary? Johnny hesitated. His lower lip started to tremble. Then he smiled and said, sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room, Mary pale and thin, Johnny robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when they met, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile fight faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube, and with the ordeal almost over, his voice slightly shaky broke the silence. He said, Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize what Johnny had come to know or what he thought he knew and, and what he realized. The doctor knew why he was fret with sorrow. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. And in that brief moment, he made his great decision. Johnny fortunately did not have to die to save his sister. Each of us, however, has a condition more serious than Mary's, and it required Jesus not to give just his blood, but to give his life. I'm reminded of a story of a, a little old lady who was theologically ignorant, educationally illiterate, but she had a passion and love for Jesus Christ and the Word of God. An infidel asked her one time, can you even tell me what it feels like to be saved? She thought for a moment and said, Well, it feels to me as if the Lord stood in my shoes, and now I'm standing in his. When Jesus was upon that cross, he took on those name tags. You know, we see those name tags, we go at parties and we put our names on, or we put them on our cups. So we recognize who's who and what's what. Jesus took on all of those name tags. Liar. Murderer. Thief. Drug addict. But he took all those on willingly. Because he knew he had to pay for us. We were not able. Lastly, we know that Christ's death was a sufficient death for salvation. Peter goes on to say, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus died for the express purpose of bringing us back to a right relationship with the God who created us. Now we are told here that what his death accomplished, but we are not told specifically how it was accomplished. Why did we need to be brought back to God? Well, again, we now get waist deep in good theology. God is not only a God of love, but as unpopular as it is to teach it and unpleasant as it is to hear it, he is also a God of wrath. In fact, the Bible scholar A.W. Pink says that in the Bible, there are more references to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there are to his love and tenderness. 
Bible says in Psalm chapter 7, God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. But now why is God angry? The Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now this does not mean that God is throwing a temper tantrum in heaven. God's wrath is his perfectly righteous and proper personal and holy reaction against sin. Notice I say not you. Against sin. So now we can understand exactly what happened on the cross. I remember in science class in school when I was younger, and the teacher demonstrated to us the power of a magnifying glass. So we were outside, and he took a small pile of leaves, and then he held that glass just at the right angle and at the right distance to form a tiny circle and right onto that pile of leaves, and we all know what happens. In a few moments, it began to smoke, and then it burst into flames. Somehow that glass lens was able to gather all the heat from all the rays of sunlight striking its surface and direct that intensity to one spot onto those leaves. Now that you have that image in your head, now I want you to picture the world. A globe covered with billions of people and above it like rays from the sun comes the blinding intensity of heat and the righteous judgment and wrath of God. It's bearing down upon the human race. Then imagine a great cosmic magnifying glass as wide as the world placed in between gathering all that intensity of that burning wrath and focusing it on one spot. In fact, on one individual. Jesus Christ being nailed on that cross. Jesus Christ became the focal point of God's wrath. When the Son of God was crucified, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Peter puts it this way, the, di the, the just died for the unjust. Let me see if you, you hang with me on this one. Because the just died for the unjust, the unjust is now just. When the just died for the unjust, he made it possible for the unjust to be justified and therefore become just. Follow me? Okay, all right. So you see, God's law makes a double demand on men. As saints, they must obey it perfectly, or as sinners, they must pay its penalty. Mankind has done neither one, but Jesus Christ did both. A wealthy American made a trip to London. He was taken up with Buckingham Palace, where the king had lived. So, the morning he went to the gates, expecting to go right in. But two soldiers stuck out their bayonets, and they stopped him, and they said, Where do you think you're going? So he took out a $1,000 bill, and he handed it to them. He says, Take this money. I can pay my way in. 
But they said, you can't buy your way into the king's palace. You have to be invited. If the king invites you, you can go in for free. In certain parts of the world, a merchant sells goods display on a counter or a table with no price tag attached. I don't know if you've traveled abroad, but this is the case in some places. They'll have their tables out. They'll have their merchandise on the table, but there are no price tags. And you might say, well, how in the world do you know how to pay for these things? What goes on? When someone wishes to buy an item, he lays down some money on the table. If the merchant is not satisfied with the payment, he just leaves it lying on the table. But then the person wishing to buy the item has to add more money to that pile. And when that is sufficient, the merchant will take the money and then you are allowed to take that item. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteousness servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He is in essence saying when enough is put down to satisfy, then we will reap our reward. Romans chapter 3, Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus Christ. So what's the bottom line here? The question is, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus Christ took on the cross for you and I. What you will have to take for all eternity if you don't take Jesus Christ. If you're going to know Jesus, you must know him in his vicarious death. He died an initial death as the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. He died an official death as the God-selected substitute. He died a judicial death, the judgment death for others. He died a sacrificial death the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to that close relationship to God. It is said that one time Napoleon, you all know about Napoleon, he was in a conference room with some of his generals. They were discussing the world situation, the campaigns and the conquests that were come to be famous for Napoleon. He wanted to conquer the world. But on the wall was a map of the world, and the British Isles was the one country Napoleon could not conquer. And they were painted in red. Napoleon pointed to those British islands and said, Had it not been for that red spot, I would have conquered the world. I will tell you today that Satan is saying the same thing. He's going to point to Calvary and he will say, Had it not been for that red spot... I would have conquered the world. But he did not. And he will not. Because of that blessed cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he had to die. He took that away from us. A man had the duty to raise a drawbridge and allow the steamboats to pass on the river below. 
And so he lowered it again for trains to cross over the land. Got the picture? One day this man's son visited him, desiring to watch his father at work. Quite curious, as most boys are. I will attest to that. He peeked into the trap door that was always left open so his father could eye the great machinery that raised and lowered the bridge. Suddenly the boy lost his footing and tumbled into the gears. And as the father tried to reach down and pull him out, he heard the whistle of an approaching train. He knew the train would be full of people and that it would be impossible to stop the fast-moving locomotive. Therefore, the bridge must be lowered. A terrible dilemma confronted him. If he saved the people, his son would be crushed in the cogs. Frantically, he tried to free the boy, but to no avail. Finally, the father put his hand to the lever that would start the machinery. He paused, and then with tears, he pulled the trigger. He pulled the lever. The giant gears began to work, and the bridge clamped down just in time to save the train. The passengers, not knowing what the father had done, were laughing and being merry. Yet the bridgekeeper had chosen to save their lives at the cost of his sons. In all of this today, there is a parable that we must know. The Heavenly Father, too, saw the blessed Savior being nailed to a cross while people laughed, mocked, and spit upon him, and yet, and yet, he spared not his only son, his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son so that we could be saved. Lord, we know that Jesus was born to die. And while we were born to live, you have told us through his example that we are to live like Christ. Lord, that's difficult for us. We struggle with sin. We struggle with things that prevent us from even being close to that example. But we are grateful that you took care of that for us. You sent your son to this earth to be that example and to die for our iniquities. Lord, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. When Jesus arrived to the cheering crowds only to know that he was essentially walking to his death. Lord, man is fickle and we have a propensity to mess things up. But Lord, you had a plan for all of us. You had a plan that would redeem us from all that sin past, present, and future. We could never thank you enough. And as we go into this week, Lord, I pray we stop and take the time to really think about what Christ went through that week 
all that turmoil, all that pressure. And yet he did it anyway. He willingly died for us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to know you, to love you, and to be a part of you when that time comes. Not by our own merit, but because of that sacrifice you made for us, because you loved us so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. We love you. We give you this day. We give you this week. And Lord, we give you ourselves. It's such a small sacrifice for us. But I pray that in our hearts and in our minds, we do it freely because of the sacrifice you made. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dave's going to come and lead us in a song, benediction. Acapella. Remember all the things that are happening this week. We have a lot going on. Uh, refer to your bulletin. Call the church office so we can inform you of all those things. But again, let's take time this week to recognize the true sacrifice of our Lord and what he did for us. Dave. After that prayer, I would just like to say that if you are uncertain that if you were to die today, that you would have eternal life with our living Lord, you're going to have eternal life. But where and with whom? And you're uncertain if you're going to have eternal life with our living Lord. Don't leave here today without knowing for certain. The Bible tells us these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. Not guessing, not hoping, not wishing. You can know. Don't leave here today. I'll be standing here. I'd like to talk with you. We're dismissed. Thank you. Lord, as we leave the house here today, I pray that we're mindful of the opportunities that you will send forth to us to tell about your son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. He was born, he lived, he died, but Lord, he was resurrected. And we celebrate that, not just this week or on Sunday. We celebrate it through our lives as we live an example in your example. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Bless us as we leave. And it's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.